Hello fellow time travelers, I'm Tony Witt with the Doctor Who Target Book Club podcast, the podcast in which we undertake the insert adjective here task of discussing in story order all of the Doctor Who novelizations. I'm joined by... Dalton Hughes. And by... Alison Fitzsafried. And we record our episodes twice a month. You're listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast. Enjoy your travels. This is the Video Junkyard Podcast. A place that appeals to your deepest and darkest fantasies. The dead who haunted souls hunt the living. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. From this nightmare world emerges a fearsome half-man, half-ape, with the strength of 20 demons. It's time. And welcome back to another exciting episode of the Video Junkyard Podcast. We're your hosts, Joe Peterson, and with me as always, my good friend and co-host, Eric Branson. Eric, how's it going? It's going good. How are you? Pretty good. Uh, happy belated 4th of July. I know this uh, episode is going to air much later, but it's July yes. 5th. So did you do anything and exciting for the 4th of July? You know, we uh, just kind of did stuff around town. So we're, for those of you that don't know if it's by chance the first time you're listening, um, we recently moved to a new city. So we've been kind of checking out the stuff. And 4th of July is kind of a big deal in this community, I guess. They have their big, like lakeside festival so we live in crystal lake illinois obviously named that because there's a lake and um it's so they do the big yeah yeah um do the big f- town festival and i say when i say big it's a not you know not huge but yeah music and carnival and all that kind of stuff so we took the kids there today um yesterday we went to a family event so my um, oh, cool. father-in-law's house and had a cookout and Saw family and everything, so yeah, we're staying busy. Very it's nice. been uh, been good uh, holiday. Everybody's um, our. <laughs> we went to traveling a few weeks ago, and my kids, uh, you know, as two year olds always do, caught a little cold or something. Nothing serious, but so we're laid up, and that ran through the family. Luckily, only for a couple days, but mm. um, well, those summer ones are just nasty, one of those though, yeah. things. Yeah, and it just seems like it's... They don't go to daycare, so, you know, it's they don't have that extra immunity boost of constantly being covered in other children's snot, so... <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> that helps a lot. Yeah, so, um, yeah, when they do get, you know, go to a... They went to their cousin's birthday party and, you know, ended up with the basically just a little runny nose, nothing too terrible, but... Mm, cool. Very cool. Um, anyway, so yeah, we're we're all all healthy and all um, having a great Fourth of July. So yeah, by as Joe mentioned, it is the Fourth of July. It is the fifth of July as we record this, but everyone is definitely celebrating around where I'm recording. So if you do hear some bangs and booms, I'm not um, reporting to you from a post-apocalyptic, you know, Kevin Costner style world i'm just actually some fireworks in the background funny you say that (laughs) funny you bring that up because the uh because the kevin costner reference doesn't make any sense without that (laughs) that's right well because we're going to be talking about um kevin costner films for the next couple of weeks uh this week and next week this is kind of our theme for for this pair is uh, as we were talking about before we hit record tonight 
we kept joking around a little bit, like we're gonna we're gonna address the issue. Is Kevin Costner really that good of an actor? And we agreed. I don't think we chose two films that really accurately gauge that. Um, yeah. we're I'm not, not sure it would be know. fair to an- analyze no. his entire career based on these two movies, but no. And, and you know, I, to be and yeah, the guy's actually had a tremendous career. He's still acting. He's still working and stuff, but. Uh, the, these films that came out, we'll be talking about, were, were very 90s. And, of course, in the late 80s, early 90s, he had a, a huge series of hits with um, uh, Dances with Wolves. And in which he that was his first directing and starring, you know, one that swept the Academy Awards and all that. Yeah, I was going to say, ended up winning, by, what, Best Director and... Best Picture. Best Picture yeah. that year. So, you know, it, it was a common thing for a while there. It was like, if you, you want to make a lot of money and have a successful film, get Kevin Cosner to be in it, maybe direct it, and make it three hours long. Problem is, that it isn't, didn't, didn't work ever again. <laughs> <laughs> right, I was going to say, and it is a fact that one of the two films we're going to talk about in the next couple of weeks did the same sweep, only at the Razzies, so... That's true. That's very true. It did. You know, and and I anyway. want to. So I want to start this up before we jump right into the first film. <laughs> I, I like I like Kevin Cosner as like a guy. I think he's a I think he's a cool guy. I I like some of the characters that he's in. Uh, there's a number of films that I like that he's in. There's also a number of films where I'm just like the way he he acts in some of them. I'm just like what the hell. And so I. I don't know. I've got this weird like. Do I? If somebody says, do you like Kevin Cosner? I don't know. I don't know. Like yeah. I, I'd like to have a beer with him. He seems like a cool guy. You know, he seems yeah, like you my... invite him to your Fourth of July cookout or something. But <laughs> right. my reaction would be similar. And I think actually my reaction right off the bat, if somebody hit me with that question, is I'd be like, yeah, I like Kevin Costner, of course. But when I start thinking about it, like, well, okay, how many truly like memorable characters has he created or is he really just kind of and i don't have any problem with actors like this but more of more of a character actor he's just always kind of you know shows up and he's kevin costner and things and there's plenty of actors that do that that i love i mean that's that's fine it's 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 a style of acting that you know um versus somebody who's very you know method and transformative with their with their craft um so I don't know. I I think right off the bat, I would always say yes. But if I started to analyze my true feelings towards, you know, the characters he's created, I think it might be not that I dislike him in any way. But um, anyway, let's let's draw some conclusions next week when we when we wrap this up. But but yeah, I think initially, if somebody hits me with that, I I think it's hard as, you know, an American film, um, you know, film enthusiast that grew up when we did to you know get hit with the question do you like kevin costner it seems like a no-brainer you just say yeah well yeah i do but then you think about it like (laughs) well let's let's jump right in actually before we jump right in something we've been talking about doing on the show for a while we've never actually formally done it because one of the things just as a a side segue here for a moment uh that we Mm -hmm. talked about doing when we first started putting this show together over a year ago now is uh oh man sitting around talking about movies having a couple of beers so what are you drinking there right now um today i am actually um in spirit visiting you in wisconsin so i'm drinking a new glarus brewing company moon man which is their pale ale yeah um was gifted a 12 pack or variety pack from somebody recently so i am enjoying that uh for for this discussion well it's not really related in any way to this movie but (laughs) <laughs> we'll have to find a way to make it because that's actually quite appropriate. I'm also uh, enjoying a pale ale, 
Um, this one also from Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, this is from this is Hopalicious from Ale Asylum, um, which has actually become one of my favorite beers since I moved to Wisconsin. Because I, yeah. I like I, I like IPAs, but Alias this one is just a pinch down from an IPA, and it's really quite pleasant. So. So anyway, that's what we're drinking as we talk about our first <laughs> right. film in our two-part Waterworld. Uh, I just fucking said it. God damn it, our two-part Kevin Costner. <laughs> we'll be talking about the 1995 American post-apocalyptic science fiction action film Waterworld. The future. The polar ice caps have melted, and the Earth lies beneath a watery grave. Those who survived have adapted to a new world. What did you see out there in the 15 lunars? Such as? An end? An end to all this water? You're asking the wrong person. Pure dirt. So what's the word? We trading or not? And the human dream is the search for a mystical place called dry land. It doesn't exist. How can you be sure? Because I sailed farther than most have dreamed. I've never seen it. This place, this whole way of living, it's ending. Straight line leading directly, directly to dry land. Dry land is not just our destination. But it is our destiny! Universal Pictures presents a world unlike any you have ever seen. Dennis Hopper, Gene Triplehorn. Waterworld. So this one was also directed by Kevin Cosner. Um, and it was distributed by Universal Pictures. This well, was really controversial, wasn't it? I, I mean, yeah, kind of, because of the amount of money <laughs> that yeah. this thing went over budget. Like, they just kept throwing money at this movie. And it's I mean, problematic because of, you said directed by Kevin Costner, which is which is mostly true. By credit, it was directed actually by Kevin, Kevin Reynolds, Reynolds yeah. who was a collaborator of his, uh, who also directed like Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Um, oh, there's two or three other um, collaborations that he had with with Kevin Costner. So the um, they had a relationship and kind of fell apart while working on this production, which supposedly was a nightmare from kind of beginning to end. And I mean, I would have thought being a producer on this that I would kind of, you kind of guess that this was going to be a difficult shoot just based on the fact that this entire script takes place on the water. <laughs> so, right. Um, yeah. And, and so supposedly it was a really plagued um, production. However, Universal Pictures had a lot of faith in it, obviously, probably because of the success of, you know, Robin Hood and Fandango and the other things that the, these two, the filmmaker and star, had worked on together. And 
kept just throwing money at this thing. So they bloated this budget up um, during production, so they didn't start off budgeted this, but um, started off with a budget of $172 million. By the time it completes, they've spent $235 million on shooting this movie. Um, basically, it was already doomed to be, and this is why it's, it's a little unfair that people give Waterworld this like giant initial criticism of being the biggest flop ever. The reason it's the biggest flop ever is because Universal made the misstep of spending this much money on it. They were never going to make money on this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, funny thing is, is that they did end up making money in this movie. It's it's often said that it's a big flop. They never made any money. Years down the line after video and they TV recovered broadcast it, yeah. rights and the two or three different versions they released of it, they have actually made it. I think Wikipedia says that it was tracking at like $264 million total. So mm-hmm. they've made a little money on it, <laughs> finally. Yeah, they, they recovered their costs at least. So a general um, description, if you've not seen Waterworld, the setting of the film is the distant future. Though no exact date is given in the film itself, it's been suggested that it takes place uh, roughly around 2,500. The polar ice caps have completely melted. Sea level has risen over 25,000 feet, covering nearly all of the land. And the plot here centers around a nameless antihero, the Mariner, played by Kevin Costner, who drifts uh, and sails around the Earth. Uh, on his uh, Trimaran boat, and it, it's kind of this adventure film. Uh, essentially, it's Mad Max on the water. Yeah, and specifically, I don't think it's really, it really is. I mean, that's that's the funny way to put it, or that's the way I've always put it, but it's really the road warrior on the yeah. water, if you want to be <laughs> super technical, because like, beat for beat, it, this is really a similar movie to Road Warrior. And then Kevin Reynolds, admittedly, you know, was influenced by George Miller and, and his Mad Max films. So mm-hmm. um, they definitely were going for something like that. Mm-hmm. I feel like this one crosses the line a couple of times from being an homage or uh, um, influenced by that to being, you know, kind of a bit of a copycat film at times. But but that's more of the general stuff that I like about Waterworld. Is, actually, um, I, I even, I'll, I'll even go one step further and say it actually feels a hell of a lot more like Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. <laughs> Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in quite a few ways. Yeah, uh, this is... I, I remember when this first came out, again, 1995. I remember a lot of buzz about it. You know, it's this big post-apocalyptic movie, but it's kind of invoking some environmental issues, too, with the whole melting of polarized caps and everything. Which, by mm-hmm. the way, just for the science nerd in me, if you melted all of the ice on the planet you would definitely have sea level rise it would definitely flood continents not this much <laughs> okay. yeah I'll, i mean let's not even like break yeah. into trying to get into the science of this um, movie because that's but, that's the best way to hate it right away is yeah nothing in this movie no makes no any sense uh, at all there, like <laughs> i i remember though this getting a lot of buzz again because of how expensive it was there was a huge hype around it and then when it came out one of my first memories about it after it had come out because i don't think i saw it in theaters uh, was on some late night talk show, Leno Letterman or something, where they were like, "Oh, here's an exclusive clip of Waterworld," and it was simply a, a video shot of a toilet and somebody just throwing money into it and flushing it. <laughs> and yeah, I remember there, that. <laughs> there's some, there's something fair to that. Um, <laughs> yeah. But you know, I, I have to say, rewatching this uh, for the show, uh, th- there is something that makes it for for me personally from being a complete and utter disaster and that's dennis hopper as oh yeah deacon the 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 main villain 
He's great. Yes, in Dennis this. Hopper's incredible in this movie. Like it's one of his. I I, I wrote down like next to, um, obviously I, he's memorable from from Easy Rider. But uh, my favorite two Hopper performances are probably the Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part Two, and this and Deacon in this movie. So um, honorable mention for playing the villain in Speed as well. But uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, he's just he's he's great. <laughs> Um, well, and it's kind of a cool thing, too. There, there are some cool things about this story and about this movie. Um, there's some, some very intriguing stuff. First of all, the Mariner is... He's a mutant, essentially. We're looking so far in the future that people have started to mutate a bit because of this extreme exposure to sun <laughs> and possibly other things. Right. Um, let's not think, you know, again, let's not think too hard on the science of that because uh, right, the right. timetables don't don't really play out. But that's, a, no. that's fine. In the world of this but movie, it, it works. So. The Mariner is actually, he has gills. So he, yeah. he goes out in the middle of the ocean, he dives down to essentially cities, flooded cities, and he collects things and brings them back up and then he sells them. And what's cool is one of the biggest commodities in this is, is just black soil. It's dirt, so you can try to grow your own food. And he can just go down and get some, bring it up, and dry it. But mm. it's it, I thought, I've always thought it was interesting when I did finally see this when I was younger and watching it again. One thing I thought was pretty cool was that he uh, they they when they realize he's a mutant, they try to kill him. It's mm-hmm. like, here's a guy who could get you everything you want. He can get you all the dirt you want, <laughs> but you're trying to kill him. Yeah, it there's there's some things that's like don't make sense. The first shot of the movie is him pissing into a machine so he can get clean drinking water out of it. I'm like, why doesn't everybody have this? There's no problem then. You could do this with seawater. Yep. Yeah, I was gonna say desalination of urine wouldn't be too far off of it. As far as I know, the desalination of of seawater. So if you could do one, I'm not sure why you could do the other or why you couldn't do the other. And the fact that they use you know hydro or water in this as it's kind of a commodity doesn't make a whole lot of sense when desalination is a technology they understand and use although you don't see anybody else use it besides the mariner so i suppose it could be something he's keeping to himself but eh, i don't know <laughs> like where are they getting all this hydro if that's not the case yeah yeah the there's case there, or... i i have questions and maybe it's something that could have been explored more in a sequel if this were more successful and I there don't know. is and not that i'm going to recommend anybody spend you know this additional time but there is a director's cut of this mm-hmm. movie that runs 42 minutes longer oh, so God. it it the runtime at Waterworld, i believe is like two hours and 20 minutes ish now so it runs almost up to three and supposedly dives into ah. uh kind of what you were talking about earlier i don't know if it addresses desalination i i doubt it i think that's just a, a silly thing that they kind of didn't think about they thought that they thought it was a clever little write thing when they were writing it and it just stuck there right um dives into the civilization living on the atoll so where he you know gets locked up for being a mutant and i guess it really develops a lot of the community there and the characters there and it actually kind of swings the film to where almost uh, almost half of the film takes place in that location with those characters so a lot of those characters are more developed and such so they did supposedly did a lot of cutting to that so there is if you are interested in the director's cut it, it exists um came out in 2009 finally and um yeah i have I've not seen it hmm. but it somewhat interesting to me because i mean as we'll discuss later this is actually a, a movie that is stupid as it is that i i i 
find somewhat enjoyable and have kind of a warm place for. The reason is, is and, and I didn't, I should have probably started with this, is that this is one I remember seeing in movie theaters. It's um, one that I really liked, and I actually, most movies, you know, I can remember, oh, I saw it in a theater, oh, I saw it on video, like where, this one I like have a cemented memory of exactly when it was, is I saw this at the second run theater on what it would have been, let me do the math real quick, on my 12th birthday, because we went out to Haunted Houses, which, as, as we've told you mm-hmm. before, uh, Joe and I share a birthday, actually, at the end of October, so it's always during Halloween season, mm-hmm. and I think due to unseasonable cold or rain or something, um, we decided not to wait out in, like, the long lines for something, whatever we were originally going to do, going to, like, the Haunted Houses in Rockford or whatever, so we went to a movie where, at the old Northtown um, Cinema that played second oh, wow. run movies for like a buck or something at that point mm-hmm. and we saw Waterworld and I, I mean being a 12 year old kid this movie was great right yeah <laughs> like everything about it and also being a 12 year old kid that had never seen Mad Max so I wasn't getting that this was derivative of you know something that had come before I was just you know kind of lost in the world of this movie and I don't know I, I loved it so it right off the bat it has like a little nostalgic Thing to me and I, and I actually got it on video I believe as well and saw it multiple times and continued to like it um, and then didn't see it for years and years and years so this is kind of a fun one to go back and see and although I really think it's <laughs> it's kind of stupid but if you can forget about the you know the glaring inaccuracies and in scientific like oh yeah um, I mean it's it's actually kind of a fun movie like in yeah, and it's it's got a it it does have quite a a, a full cast too uh, for mm-hmm. you know nineteen ninety five you know you've got Kevin Costner as we said as the Mariner and Dennis Hopper as the villain Deacon. Um, there's a character named Helen played by Gene Triplehorn, Michael Jetter. So those of you that are Sesame Street fans, uh, Sesame Street fans, it's one of the Mister Noodles. Um, <laughs> It, yes i believe you know jack black has a, a small role in this yeah blink uh, blink and you'll miss him yeah um you could almost call it a cameo except it's not because he wasn't famous yet at this point it was just a working mm-hmm. actor you know having a bit part in a movie but mm-hmm. um yeah well and, and kim Coates as well who i think most people will know from the tv series sons of anarchy mm-hmm. um yeah you know who who played uh, who played uh, Tig Traeger on Sons of Anarchy? He's in this as a, a drifter. He's got a really creepy scene, actually. Um, yeah, but yeah. yeah so there's there's a lot of a lot of faces. Robert Joy, who's somebody I really like to see in movies as well. So yeah, well, it, Gene Triplehorn, I think, was kind of in a lot of stuff right around this time. And then I don't. I mean, what's she going on to do? I'm probably not thinking of you know something. But I know I saw her in a lot of movies in the '90s, and then didn't much after that but yeah she's still doing you know looks like maybe one or two projects a year uh you know kind of Mm -hmm. smaller films and uh she was doing some television stuff for a while uh but yeah i think overall the the why do you think this movie really failed i mean you mentioned it was the, the the big bloated budget but is it just because i don't know are are other successful uh, post-apocalyptic sci-fi films just as dumb i mean a lot <laughs> I of mean, them are sure, they're, they're probably true um i think it was set up to fail with the budget thing so if you want to look at you know success or failure 
being measured by box office, this was never going to be a success. Mm-hmm. Like they just dumped too much money into it and it was just going to be a lose. And I think that buzz came out, uh, you know, around the time that they started promoting this film. So a lot of the film audience, like a lot of the audience, I think was expecting this to just be a big, you know, failure. So you walk into a movie thinking that, and what do you get? Um, it also didn't come out to like really great reviews. They were pretty middle of the road. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think even to this day, it's Rotten Tomato scores about 40, 44, it says. And so it's, it's, it's not well loved. And I, and I, you know, nostalgia aside, I don't think all of that stuff is unwarranted. I think there's definitely some problems with this movie, but it doesn't stop it from being fun and having some like good, you know, action sequences. And, um, yeah, like you said, Dennis Hopper's great in it. And, um, yeah, I, I, I feel similar. I think that it, it, uh, the bad press of it, it's being overhyped and, uh, you know, there was press coming out about, they keep adding budget because it was the most expensive movie ever made. That type of attention can be really, really damaging because it's going to raise these expectations. And I don't actually think it's that much worse, if any worse, than a lot of the big budget Roland Emmerich style action movies that came out around yeah. the same time. I mean, I it might just, be better than some of them. I can just do a, a quick look, real quick. Um, you know, let's see. It was in a year later. Roland Emmerich comes out with Independence Day. Yep. Right. Yep. And that being Fourth of July weekend, I feel it's okay to bring that one up. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, the some uh, similarities there. I mean, not in the actual films themselves, but that one got pretty similar critical reviews. They were kind of mediocre, but it it had a much bigger draw in the audience yeah it was a huge Um, hit it was a big hit people loved it even though the characters were described as stereotypical and cardboard and the dialogue was weak and there's a bunch of stuff that doesn't make sense in it but that one was was a huge hit everybody loved it and then i think you know after a couple of years people go back and they're like oh it's kind of lame um yeah i i find it to be incredibly lame but so these are two movies, big budget, post-apocalyptic, summer blockbuster type films, you know, or just blockbuster films. Uh, I think Waterworld came out on Christmas Day. No, it came out in July. came out in July of 95. Independence Day, of course, came out in, well, actually came out in June of 96. Um, yeah. In, and I know that um, it, it had been playing for a while because I know it was certainly at like the dollar theater by the time I yeah. saw it. So. Yeah. But what is it? Why why would a big budget dumb film, dumb sci-fi film like Independence Day have such a big be such a hit when Waterworld wasn't? Well, if you look at Independence Day, it had a budget of 75 million dollars and it made 817 million. Yeah. <laughs> That's the big reason right there. That's the big reason. They they you know, they just blew it out of the water, pun intended. Well, you know, they, they had $100 million, $200 million more for Waterworld, and it's not for good. So I, I think the big part of it was just expectations. Mm-hmm. So, and I think today, as we were also talking about before we started recording, you look at movies today, there's this a number of people that pay a lot of attention, not like studio heads, but just fans. 
they get all worked up depending on the box office of a film. And I get that that's part of the success means you could have a franchise or something, yes or no. Well, you know, think about what that does, though. When the more we talk about and hype these things up before they come out, it kind of sets them up for a lot harsher critique. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that's what happened with with Waterworld. I'm not saying Waterworld is a great film. I'm saying it's not any worse than something like Independence Day, which was just this incredibly huge hit. Yeah. No, I agree. I, I think there's just as much... Independence Day is a good example because there's just as much poor you know, logic and writing and things in that film as there is in Waterworld. And people tend to have a very favorable, at least nostalgic memory of that film. And this one... I, I do think you run into people that enjoy Waterworld or are fans of, of the movie, but in general, this is a movie that is just from the get-go has been kind of disdained and <laughs> not loved by people. Yeah. It's kind of a it's kind of a bit of a joke, you know, and still to this yeah. day people bring it up. Um Absolutely. although it is no longer the biggest failure, box office failure, I don't think, but um I actually meant to look up what has surpassed it. I'll have to do that and fill in the blank at some point here but <laughs> oh, maybe it was holmes and watson um, um yeah yeah but I, I i this is actually it's i was never a big fan of this but now having rewatched it a few times i i like it more every time i watch it mm-hmm. um it's got its problems that's it's not i'm not gonna say you know i really 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 liked that movie no it's got its problems but i feel like it's been treated unfairly um, yeah. In fact, I, I, I would even go so far as to say there are things about this that I liked more than Independence Day. Yeah, I, think, I, I prefer this to Independence Day. I'll be honest right off the yeah, bat. I, this, I, I, I like this movie. I like Waterworld better than Independence Day for sure. I think it's a lot more clever. There's a lot. It's a, it's a cooler concept because, you know, Independence Day, which I don't mean to suddenly turn the episode into a talk about Independence Day, but, you know, <laughs> yeah. for, for as much as Waterworld is kind of like, let's do Thunderdome in the water, um, Independence Day was, let's just take War of the Worlds and update it. Mm-hmm. And that's it. I mean, it's, it, and have a, <laughs> a lot of explosions of landmarks. <laughs> and yeah. That's about it. Um, it. It wasn't very smart. The dialogue's pretty terrible. The one-liners are lame. At least Waterworld doesn't have quite as many lame one-liners. No. And one of the biggest, you know, issues I have with Waterworld... I mean, there's a lot of issues with it. I think this is one we were talking before we started recording about, you know, um, (laughs) the Justice League movie, because we were talking DC stuff. There's our reference for this episode. There you go. But um, talking about movies that kind of you can see that it's the, the damage of a production of, of a plagued production. So yeah, yep. like this movie was supposedly a really awful production. The director walks off halfway through Kevin Costner picks up and directs the movie from that point. Um, so yeah, you're having, you have two different directors. Um, you have a director and a lead actor that are having a, you know, a, a rough enough time seeing eye to eye that, you know, the director walks off the film so um supposedly they called in and here's where it really links to justice league they called in um joss wheaton to finish up some of this uh and this would have been real early in his career um to come out and do some last minute rewrites three quarters of the way through the shoot of Waterworld. and he described it as the worst job he's ever had and that it was seven weeks of hell working with kevin costner and that Costner was not willing to neg- or not willing to compromise on any of his ideas, 
and basically dictated to Wheaton what to put into the script, and there was no altering anything. You know, his ideas went in. So there you go. Um, and I don't want to blame Kevin Costner because I don't know the whole story, but there's strong evidence there to support that there's where some of the weird ideas and plot holes come from when someone's just insisting on things and not thinking them through mm-hmm. and um especially when it's you know it's it's his star vehicle and he's trying to kind of shape this thing the way he sees it and i also think that another huge problem with Waterworld is kevin costner no i mean mm-hmm. like we said early in the episode no real offense meant to him but it's his performance in this movie is weird, and I feel like it, if it was done a little differently or a little, if, if his character had, if he had done a little more with the character rather than dive into like directing the film and rewriting the script and all that kind of stuff, that maybe it would have ended in the end been a better movie. Like he almost just doesn't show up in this movie. He's just mm-hmm. there to kind of say the lines, and it's it's disappointing because the Mariner should be a very cool, memorable character, and he really ends up not being. Dennis Hopper steals the show, right? So it's yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I, I I'm disappointed by it every time that he's not a little better in this movie because I've seen Kevin Costner be better than this. <laughs> you know, it's like we were talking about you know kind of evaluating his whole career, and I've certainly seen him do a better job than than this. So I I assume from an outsider's perspective and reading about kind of the the production woes of this film that that's probably why <laughs> that there's all those issues but i i kind of feel like and and we can go into this more next week but i kind of feel like <laughs> there's certain roles that kevin cosner does really really well um when he's kind of playing uh an any man right or or something a little more grounded in reality mm-hmm. he he is very effective there but when he's playing a character like the mariner you know like you said this this should have been a really cool cinema classic character yeah but instead it's just just he delivers these lines and they're so bland and i think about you know well when he he played robin hood and it was like dude you're fucking robin hood own that and it's just (laughs) Yeah. Uh, you know, but then you think about some other roles that he's done, like Dances with Wolves, where he's this kind of this soldier that's you know kind of exiled in a way, and you know it's it. There, he he worked with that a lot better, and that but that was one where he had a lot of input, a ton of input, right? He wrote, he directed yeah. that one as well. So I don't know. I think, and I've seen him more recently in. Um, you know some gangster style movies 1930 period type things and he's really really good so i don't i don't know something about his more extravagant characters he just doesn't pull it off and you can tell he wants to but i don't just doesn't work when i haven't seen it recently but i a memorable role i remember liking him in speaking of gangster movies mm-hmm. is in brian de palma's the untouchables yeah. film yeah and i remember really thinking he's pretty great in that movie i i'd like to revisit it now because <laughs> it's been so long and in the 90s has that like such a definitive style yeah like performances have not aged well all, all the time but um i do I've, remember thinking he was great in i've that, so. i've recently seen that as well and and yeah it it does still i think hold up pretty uh pretty well um you know he had a, a small or a, a supporting role in hidden figures which was great he was in man of steel there's another dc reference which i was not happy yeah. with but that wasn't from him that was just the movie yeah <laughs> but um right 
Not you know, Kevin Costner's fault in that. No, in that, that wasn't his fault in that one necessarily. <laughs> um, the, like we were talking about the character of the Mariner, and I think another issue with it is is script wise. I mean, from the get go, he's just. I mean, I know when they start off, is he's supposed to be? You know, he's he's a mutation, so he's been shunned by humanity. You can imagine for most of his life, or he's at least unfamiliar with it and stays away from them because of the sort of reaction that the the villagers on the atoll have to him. Mm-hmm. Um. However, it's like I know they want to make it, they they're trying to make him a reluctant hero or a bit of an anti-hero at first, but he's just such an asshole and such like he does some really really unforgivable stuff to these people in the first part of the movie. Mm-hmm. Like beyond like where I feel like I have a problem forgiving him for it ever. Like I'm like even when, you know, by the end of the movie when he's supposed to become, you know, step into this role of the hero of this film, it's still like, yeah, but you were really an asshole to these people. Um, I don't know. It's they were really assholes to him, too. So I, I, I'm not sure how I feel about it at the end. But some of the stuff he does to um, Helen and to Enola it, when they're first with him on the boat, it's just like, OK, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I'll ever get over this with this character. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, anyway, but yeah, yeah, there's, I mean, again, we have this, <laughs> we talked about it in the Conan episode, but like, we're supposed to settle for the fact that he didn't like rape this woman as his, you know, well, well, he, he didn't do that. So he's cool, right? He can, you know, beat on her and he can, you know, yell at them and intimidate the child and intimidate her. But, you know, he didn't, he didn't force himself upon her. So he's cool. Like, <laughs> like, um, it's a little disconcerting, but again, it's 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 probably just because I'm watching it, you know, in 2019 and not in 1995. Because in 1995, I didn't notice any of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, besides some some grade A side boob, my 12 year old. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> terrible. Right. <laughs> well, the, yeah, the, the yeah. Gene Triple Horn side boob. There's that one shot. <laughs> yeah. It, right. Overall, I I I would just kind of I don't know. I still think that, despite that, there, there's there's characters in just as many '90s big budget action films, even later, more modern big budget action mm-hmm. films, that have lead hero characters that should be cooler than they are, and it's yeah. it's part of its performance and part of its style of the director, the filmmaker, and part of its well, style hoping... of the era. Yeah, I was, I'm hoping there is a 47-minute longer cut. I'm not sure I will ever sit down and watch it, but I'm hoping there's a little bit more development with this character somewhere in there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just like so, just watch him, see him grow a little more. But the weird thing is, is by the end of the movie, I don't feel like he's grown a whole lot because he chooses to... I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I like the way it ends. I, I like that he, you know, goes on his way and he's the Mariner. He's mysterious and he does his, his thing. But I, I don't sense a whole lot of growth in... in him as a character so i don't know i I think that was a a misinterpretation from from both a writing and and acting standpoint yeah he's not exactly like you know fish man with no name or something (laughs) you know it's 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 not but you can tell they're trying to channel that mad max they're trying to channel that man with no name kind of thing and it it just comes well, he's off. a man of few words like like max is in the road warrior and you know, just but like... it's it's just it comes out as as very derivative of that mm-hmm. you know it, it doesn't it, it is well. it certainly yeah. is and so. like i said had i not seen this you know had i you know had i only just watched Waterworld after now that i've seen all the mad max films many times and 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 am a fan of that entire series 
I think the derivativeness of this would bother me much more. But you know, yeah. watching this as a twelve-year-old kid, not having any idea about that stuff, um, it's pretty. It, w- it was pretty awesome. The world, the, the world it created, or that kind of post-apocalyptic, gritty. Um, yeah, it, it, it. I enjoyed it a lot, and and I do still wonder where the heck the smokers, which is the group of you know. Mm-hmm. Um, bad guys. Where, where the hell are they getting all these cigarettes from? Everybody's smoking constantly. I thought it was, you know, it's a clever, like, you know, character it's, thing for them. But, like, but it's it an absolutely ridiculous one, too, because they're yeah. stationed on an oil tanker. They're stationed yeah. on the Exxon Valdez. And they're well, constantly what, two smoking. or three times Dennis Hopper threatens his own people by, like, joking around about throwing his cigarette into the... Yeah, it's just like... And then at the yeah. end, like, that that's how, you know... That's how they do it, right? Blows but it yeah, up, like which is a great scene. It's one of my only only Mariner scenes in this that I really like. Is that one? But you won't do it. Anyway. No bullshit. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. And the the smoker thing it was like, yeah, this is cool. Like, okay, it, it it feels like that whole idea of this is the pirate gang and this is their their thing, right? They all smoke Black Death cigarettes and all this stuff, right? Yeah, we're gonna have this whole thing. I thought I feel like that was created before the movie was, like before yeah. the movie was even written. Like somebody had this just kind of rolling around, and they were like, "Ah, yeah, let's drag that off the shelf and put it in this movie because it doesn't seem to fit." Like, why would you? Yeah. Not that... to me, it's it felt like Costner or somebody, probably Kevin Costner, if he was really as in control of this as as it sounds like, um, was kind of like you know, yeah, I don't know if he's a smoker himself, but kind of like you know, it sucks or what's terrible cigarettes let's make all the bad guys smoke a lot of cigarettes just yeah and and yeah it just seemed like somebody kind of like shoehorned that in there it doesn't make any sense in the narrative whatsoever i did feel like this movie was sillier than i remember it being a bit intentionally oh yes yeah i actually wrote down that i i I think this there are moments and i and again, I, I don't know who which, what moments are Kevin Reynolds and what moments are Kevin Costner from a director's perspective, but um, there are certainly moments of this that I think it's poking fun at itself a bit or it's being silly and just having fun. I mean, there's like a giant computer animated mega shark in it at one point for just a few seconds. <laughs> and, um, yeah, just whatever. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's one thing that's kind of conspicuously absent from this movie is marine life. Yeah, there's not except much. for that one, yeah, yeah, one moment on the boat. Yeah, but yeah, there's not really much. It's like you'd think that would be a major issue. Yeah, but nope, that's that's just Dennis Hopper with a goofy, bad-looking eye thing. But it it was yeah. it was funny. So it, yeah, it and again, can't can't say enough times how great Dennis Hopper is in this. He's one of my. Um, He's a favorite villain. I don't know how many, you know, I'm not going to say top whatever because I'm sure I wouldn't think of this in a top 10, but I really, really think he's great in this movie. Has some great lines. I, I love the you're like a turd that don't that won't flush line. I probably have used that in my life <laughs> after seeing oh, Waterworld. Yeah. It's great. Um, yeah, I don't know. He's, he's good. So overall, like um, if you had to do a letter grade, what, what, what was your take on Waterworld this time around? I, honestly, I'm gonna give it like a, a solid C, I, I'm, and maybe that's generous, but I'm gonna give it a solid C. I feel like it, it time has actually been good to it. 
And I think because that time has, while you admit, and I'll admit and agree that yes, it is still kind of one of the main jokes, like, oh, a movie flop, well, it, you know, what is it, another water world, right? Something like that. Yeah, that's still in the lexicon, we still say things like that, but we've seen flops since then, and I don't think this one is really as bad, and I, I think when you start to really dig into why was this such a big failure... It's not that the movie necessarily failed on its own merits. I think I agree that a lot of it was from the overhyping because of these controversial budget issues it was having. And, you know, it was just, it was a, this was supposed to be a flagship, pun intended, of, um, <laughs> you know, of, of Universal. They even really pushed that live action show at the Universal Parks for years. I think it's still going on at it's the one in Japan. Running. Yeah. And yep. I've seen it. It's pretty lame, but it's well, <laughs> I think all of those are, but anyway. Um the stunt shows are pretty stupid. But anyway. Yeah. I think that I mean, it was it, cool when it was Batman, but you know, yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but even still they're just all over the place. But these kind of things, um I, I feel like a movie like this, if you look at what was coming out around that around the time and I go back to Independence Day as like a quintessential example. Independence Day is probably a worse movie than this, but it, it it still has more fans behind it. I think over time that one has shown to not be very good because it was considered good when it was new, and now it's like, ah, that's faded a bit. And I feel like this one isn't as bad as people said it was, so by ipso facto, it's actually not terrible. It's not good. It's not great, but it's. <laughs> right. I'll give it a solid C because of its whole checkered history. But uh, and, and I get that it's got some high points. It's got some really cool kind of steampunk tech type things that they they uh, definitely take advantage of this kind of post-apocalyptic on the water scenario uh, and come mm -hmm. up with some clever things. I thought the idea of the Mariner was really cool. It was just a shame it didn't flesh those out more. But uh, so I'll go yeah. with a C. What about you? Yeah, I'm pretty much right there with you. I mean, I I blame you my nostalgia for a little bit of my you know giving this movie a break but i think it's generally an enjoyable movie it's really i mean it's stupid but no more stupid than a lot of you know big action sci-fi movies um it's got a great villain it's got a great cast like um i wish kevin costner would have put a little bit more time into you know developing this character rather than you know writing and directing the film or trying to save it uh, whatever he he thought he was doing but um I think there was he could have done better things with this, but yeah, overall I think I'd give it a C plus. I guess yeah, I I actually found it to be just as enjoyable as I did when I was younger, and and yeah, it's hmm. it's I would actually, you know, if if somebody hasn't seen this movie and it's like oh, you know, Waterworld's it's one of the worst movies ever made, I, I I think I'd correct them on that and be like, no, it's only you know, it's only kind of a stupid movie that's pretty entertaining <laughs> like, yeah because at the end of the day that's you know what you want right nobody's going into this movie or should have gone into this movie looking for something that was going to be deep and eye-opening you're going yeah. for uh, a high seas adventure with explosions and colorful characters and it's got all of those things it's just the characters yep. aren't as fleshed out as they could be and it's a Mad Max pirate movie. Come on, it really is. It's a Mad Max pirate movie. Uh, but honestly, the the I still I brought it up again, uh, before, but the scene when he goes underwater and you're seeing like the flooded cities, mm -hmm. that that's a scene that really stands out in my mind. Like that was a, that's really kind of cool. I mean, it's terrifying, yeah. but it's kind of cool. So there are things about this movie that I think 
work. Not enough of them. But I don't feel like it's fair to say it's an absolute disaster because there's a lot of very popular films that had a lot more problems that came out around this time. So, yeah. so you're not going to uh, be placing your Amazon order for the 47-minute longer director's cut of Waterworld? <laughs> no, probably not. But I think later <laughs> this month, actually, they're coming out. In just a few days, they're going to be releasing it on like high-def Blu-ray for the first time. Oh yeah, Something. yeah. I know yeah. there is a good the new Blu-ray coming out that's got all three versions of this film. There is a European version of it as well. So. Well, when a couple months later, when that's in the five dollar bin, maybe I'll grab it. Yeah. Okay. I would I do might. that if I found I'd... it for five bucks. I I would not be able to help myself. I'm too. I'd be too curious. But yeah, I wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't spend more than five bucks on this. But I would have it to say it's in my collection, especially if I ever wanted to do a movie night where like let's compare post-apocalyptic films. You'd have to throw this one on. Yeah. You know. Yeah. You'd have to. Uh, you'd also have to throw on a film that we're going to talk about next week, too. Oh, God, I hope so, not. No, yeah, just, well, just kidding. I don't want to broadcast what I think of it. but no, no. Well, anyway. it can't be that different than this one, but we'll find out. But uh, Otherwise, you know, we'd love to hear from uh, anybody, though, who has seen Waterworld or has an opinion. Have you watched it recently? Do you have a memory of maybe seeing it in the theaters? or uh, what, what are your thoughts on it, especially if you've watched it relatively recently? Feel free to uh, shoot us an email at videojunkerpodcast at gmail.com. Sh- send us a tweet at videojunkpod or find us on Facebook, Video Junkyard Podcast, or the Video Junkyard Podcast group. Yeah, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. As we always say, if you take the time to write it, we'll take the time to read it. So send your review of Waterworld or any film we've reviewed on the show, um, and we will make sure and include it on the show itself. So. Otherwise, I want to thank everybody for tuning in. Uh, Feel free to uh, find our next episode coming up next week where we continue our discussion of Kevin Cosner 1990s (laughs) post-apocalyptic science fiction films. Wow, that is a very unique genre there. (laughs) Well, we'll we'll do the best we can with that (laughs) as we continue to dive down this rabbit hole. But you've been listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. This is Joe Peterson. I'm Eric O'Branson. Have a good evening. You have been listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. You just can't let them go. Go. Stay on the road. Keep clear to the moors. We want to take this opportunity to thank you for listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast and remind you to find us on social media on Facebook at facebook.com slash video junkyard podcast on Twitter at video junk pod and on Instagram as video junkyard podcast. All one word. I want to thank you again for listening and keep digging. Who knows what treasures you'll find in the video junkyard.